A Skytalker's Prophecy. When the microphone is plugged in and the computer turned on, it is almost certain that wild speculation is at hand. Claudia Gray is back with her newest novel, Master and Apprentice, and we are ready to dive into the world of Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hello, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and happy May the 4th. And guys, we have a lot, like a lot has happened in the past, <laughs> like, hour. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording on May the 4th. Usually we, re- we release an episode on this day, but we had some delays that went into... Uh, not releasing this episode on time. But the truth is, I'm actually really happy and excited to spend May the 4th, Star Wars Day, recording our podcast, Caitlin. I think that it's just kind of... Yeah, it is fitting. And um, man, Star Wars Day is such a good day because it's such a reminder of how amazing this community is and how many people love Star Wars. And we, in the past hour, StarWars.com released all of the... Right, the the Rise of Skywalker book discussions, book Ooh. discussions, whoa, book releases coming down the pipeline, and oh my god, I'm so ready. <laughs> There's so much. The one that really caught my eye is the art book, though. You don't say. Yeah, if you guys follow me on Twitter, I just <laughs> tweeted like 20 different meme reactions <laughs> to it. <laughs> oh it my god. Really funny, really accurate. Yeah, the Art of Skywalker book is written by our Art friend- of Skywalker. Art of Sky Art of Sky. <laughs> <laughs> um the the art of the, the oh gosh, the art of the rise of Skywalker is written by Phil Sozak, who we know and love, and we're super excited um, for that book to be coming out. The cover, if you haven't seen it, is like so Raylo. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, talk about balance, right? The cover is so good. Is the epitome of balance. But there were also some other really interesting books that came out. There's a lot that's going to be going on within the time jump, it looks like, between episodes 8 and 9, which I think will be really interesting. Um, Maybe it'll help paint a bigger picture of just exactly how much time is in between these films. There's also one about a force collector, like a force artifact collector, which is going to be so cool. And someone was like, oh, what if it's Laura Santeca? And I about lost my mind. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, what if it is and then and then <laughs> there's another one all about ships and i was like colossus <laughs> i can't handle this <laughs> i usually like i breeze past all of those kinds of books um they're just not in my wheelhouse but then suddenly it was in my wheelhouse <laughs> and i was like wow colossus content i hope it's there <laughs> It probably will be. Probably will be. I don't know if I'll buy the whole thing, though. It depends on how good the Colossus content, how in-depth we really get. look through it at Barnes & Noble. Yeah, yeah. It's a look through at Barnes & Noble, depending on how good the content is. If, it, if it's good. If I get that like really great cross-section, I might have to buy it. But we'll see. I'm just really excited. Even I don't have it right in front of me, but even the the novel about Poe, Leia, and Finn and Ray. no mention of Rose, though. Um, no, Rose is teaming. in one of them. Oh, she is. Okay, good. I think it's. I think it's. Not, I don't think Finn is in it. It's like Leia, Rose, Poe, and Ray. I think actually. Oh, interesting group. Yeah, 
I think I don't quote me on that, but I, a rose is in there, and I, it's either Leia or Finn that is not included in that grouping. I'm just so excited for all these books, though. Mm-hmm. It's it it finally makes it feel a little bit more real. I think we all expected to get this announcement at Celebration, and we didn't. But it really, I don't know. It just makes me so much more excited, and I can't wait to talk about certain books on the show as we lead up to the rise of skywalker and start speculating and oh. yay <laughs> speculating i suppose um yeah and something that we forgot to mention for the past like seven episodes actually is that uh the podcast stage was our 100th episode mm-hmm. so we we planned The only thing we had planned for the podcast stage was to be like, oh, my God, it's our 100th episode. Didn't do that Um, (laughs) and didn't talk about it in the subsequent episodes. And we're only just now talking about it. So Sky Talkers has crossed 100 episodes and we are so thrilled and a little bit in disbelief, I think, that we crossed 100 episodes. It's just – it's crazy. So thank you all for those of you that have been on this ride for us, either from the beginning or have jumped on somewhere in the middle. Uh, We're really glad you're here and talking about Star Wars with us. Yes. Yeah, it's really funny. We did really – we worked really hard to get to 100 before (laughs) the podcast stage. We were like – releasing certain episodes that we had on the back burner um, before then. And it was just like, we didn't even mention it. It's just really funny. Um, Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things where if you guys listen to our recap, our like check-in episode for Celebration, we were talking about how Charlotte and I completely forgot that we had bought tickets to this comedy show and like completely forgot that we were supposed to go. Um, The 100th episode was like the same thing. It was like three days later and we were like, oh, that was our 100th episode. Celebration was a lot, guys. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, so, yes. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for, for crossing 100 with us. And then the next thing that we want to talk about at the top of the show is that Caitlin and I have both finished Dooku Jedi Lost, the audiobook drama. And we will probably reference parts of it in maybe not a huge spoilery sense in this discussion of Master and Apprentice, but I just want to let you guys know, and we'll probably do a discussion of that, um, a light discussion on our Patreon. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in that, it'll be available at the $3 level and above. Yeah. And if you are thinking, if you're kind of on the fence about whether or not you want to get Jedi Lost, uh, but you've read Master and Apprentice, they go really well together. Mm -hmm. Um, So just keep that in mind. We will be discussing Jedi Lost, but hopefully it is, I mean, obviously not a full in-depth, but we'll probably be referencing it. Um, But if you're on the fence about getting it, they go really nicely hand in hand. So I would definitely recommend. It's six hours Super easy to get through, very entertaining. Um, I hope they do more audio dramas, but we will be doing a bigger discussion about it on our Patreon. Me too. Me too. I really hope that. And I think that Claudia Gray and Kevin Scott both worked together on mm-hmm. – like they, they bounced ideas off of each other and – so they, they do kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, it would make sense if they did, honestly, because mm-hmm. the, the ways that these stories connect and flow is it's really interesting. Um, and then kind of the last thing on our um, – to discuss before we start our discussion is that this week, unfortunately, we lost Peter Mayhew, um, Chewbacca. And Charlotte actually was the one who texted me because I wasn't on Twitter when the news broke. And – it's just been really sad. Um, Peter Mayhew was such a kind and generous person with his time and with his affections, both towards the Star Wars community and to the character of Chewbacca. And 
it, it, it's a big loss for the Star Wars community. I, I don't really know how to talk about it because it is just so sad. Um, and he was at Celebration Chicago just a couple weeks before. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope that he, I, I hope that he was with his family and that he was able to feel love from the Star Wars community and his family. And um, I know that he knows how much he meant to all of us because he, whenever you hear Peter Mayhew talk, he is just the the most loving person and gentle spirited person. And uh, it was really touching and sad to see everyone um, within the Star Wars community kind of talking about their relationship to Chewbacca and, and how much Peter Mayhew as a person meant to them too. So we will, yeah. we will miss you, Peter Mayhew, but thank you for everything that you did give to the Star Wars universe. Absolutely. I don't think I could have said it better than that without crying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, it's it's so hard to lose someone in the Star Wars community, and it's getting more and more common, and it's it's like it's really hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not fun. Um, but <laughs> no, no it, it it's not. I, I probably wasn't the best phrasing, but it's not fun. It's not easy. Um, and I think moments like these really just remind me of how much this community means to me, um, because I think. After Carrie Fisher passed away, that was one of our really early episodes of Sky Talkers, and we didn't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to talk about this, um, but I remember feel like Carrie Fisher was the first like celebrity death that affected me, um, that I really felt something over, like actual grieving, and this is much the same way. Um, it's just a reminder that this community does mean so much to me, and these stories and these people um, have had an impact on my life, um, a positive one too. So I don't really know what else to say or, or how to transition, um, but – Peter Mayhew meant a lot to the Star Wars community, and um, I'm so we're all so lucky that Jonas um, is such an admirer of his and is so respectful of the work that Peter put into creating Chewbacca, and that they were able to like work together so closely as Jonas kind of took up the mantle of Chewbacca, and just it's sad. Um, it's sad, but I'm glad that he was able to spend time at Star Wars Celebration before he passed away. Me too. Me too. Okay. With that, let's move on to talking about Master and Apprentice, which is a book that we've anticipated for so long. Mm -hmm. So like most of our Star Wars book discussions, in part one, we're going to be talking about our first impressions and, you know, initial reactions to the book. Part two is going to be deeper themes. And in part three, we switch off and (laughs) assign each other quotes and discuss them. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. All right. Welcome to part one where we are discussing first impressions. Um, so this book announcement came up uh, along with the Queen's Shadow book announcement. They were released at the same time. And I think we were both really excited about both of them. Um, but now that we have finished Master and Apprentice, what was your first impression? Okay. Let me back up. What was your first impression about hearing the announcement of Master and Apprentice? Um, it's no secret that I am an iffy Qui-Gon fan. And my first reaction was I really wanted Claudia Gray to write Padme because I am such a huge fan of Claudia Gray. Um, But I know how much I loved the story in um, From a Certain Point of View that she wrote, which is also called Master and Apprentice, about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. And 
um, Qui-Gon's Force Ghost. And that's such a beautiful story. And I knew Claudia Gray had wanted to write them for so long that I was so happy for her to be able to do that. And I was so eager to read a full novel version of her take on these characters. Yeah, I was too. I, like you, I'm also an on-the-fence Qui-Gon Jinn fan. I think a lot of our listeners have sent us in kind of their comments and feelings about Qui-Gon Jinn, which have definitely changed my perception of him a lot for the better. Um, But I I just don't think he's ever going to be my favorite character, which is fine. Um, I was really excited, though, for this book for the Obi-Wan component Mm -hmm. of it because Obi-Wan is one of my favorite characters and kind of getting to explore him in this um, time frame was going to be really fun. Um, so I think that's what I was most looking forward to with this book. Um, and it, it gave me a lot. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a lot of information in this book. And that I think that was honestly my favorite part of it. Interesting. What do you mean by information? I just mean like between between this, really between this and the audio drama, I feel like we learned so much about the Jedi Order. Um, Like these background details, these little tidbits, kind of how they're moving through the temple. It was just, it was such a different world, not different world, but just getting to see more of it than I think we ever got to see in the films or even within the Clone Wars. Um, And just kind of hearing about how the Jedi, how Padawans are chosen by their masters and um, the different specialties that certain Jedi masters have. The fact that there's an underwater portion of the Jedi Temple, that's so crazy. It's so cool. (laughs) It's really cool. Um, And I just, I I think that was my favorite piece of the book, honestly. I think there was a lot of intrigue. We're obviously going to be talking about the prophecies, um, the force side of things that was kind of happening throughout this book. So don't you worry, listeners. <laughs> but I think that and then the the relationship between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, I really liked kind of how Claudia, we spent different, we spent a good amount of time in each of their headspaces. It wasn't just, you know, Qui-Gon's relationship to Obi-Wan and only Qui-Gon's thoughts. And it wasn't just Obi-Wan's thoughts on Qui-Gon. We got to see both of them and how they're thinking about each other at any given moment. And I really enjoyed that piece of it too. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I agree with you completely. I also, just as like a meta understanding of the fact that both Queen Shadow and Master and Apprentice were released and announced at similar times. It's really interesting, the whole campaign to, you know, bring back the love of The Phantom Menace. And yes, we're at the 20-year mark, but I think that Lucasfilm could have 100% not celebrated that 20-year mark, um, given the fact that, you know, we have The Rise of Skywalker coming out at the end of the year. It would have, to me, I, I never really thought that they would put so much celebration into the prequels. And I think it's fascinating that here we have these two books that go way back in the timeline to a place like, I don't even know how long, what is it, like 50 or 60 years before, you know, the the events of the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And we are rediscovering this new time period. And in a way, it's interesting to think about and return to way earlier in the timeline and think about how it will affect even further down the line to where we are in story creation now with the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I find it really fascinating. And it's a it's been a joy to revisit this time period, which is something that I was a little nervous about because I have so much nostalgia for my early fandom days of loving the prequels and everything. And I was nervous about this modern take on 
the prequel era, but I have no reason to be nervous about that because this I I really I did really enjoy this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I, I just feel like I learned so much more yeah. about this time period. Um, that was really fascinating to me. I also think it's interesting too that even though we're coming back to this time frame of the the first trilogy uh, or the second trilogy. <laughs> that like it's the first chronologically but it's the oh second this is, this is why we say prequels <laughs> i know that's not what george says though remember we were gonna try and refer to it as a second trilogy okay I know. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna try um uh but we're still kind of avoiding the skywalker part of this trilogy um, mm-hmm. It's like very pointed that both of these new prequel second trilogy stories that have come out are separate from any of Anakin's stories. Um, I think for a lot of reasons, both because we haven't explored this time period. There's um, th- that was a great time period for Padme as a character to be getting in her head. Also for Qui Gon and Obi Wan, given what we know of the relationship and the Phantom Menace. All of that being said, um, especially given the connectivity that appeared, like the heavy connectivity that appears to be happening with Palpatine from the Rise of Skywalker, we're still like kind of avoiding more and newer stories about Anakin in this time frame as of right now. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that's just like a kind of a fun aside. I don't think that's as heavy handed for why these books were made in the time frame they were made. Sorry, there was just it's it's just started thunderstorming again. Like a really <laughs> loud clap of thunder. I don't know if you heard it, but it started. I did hear a little. it. I did hear. It. You did hear. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh my goodness, it just got really dark outside. <laughs> um, is that the force? <laughs> um, it's kind of it, it's kind of like you know how there aren't a lot of stories from Kylo's point of view within the sequel trilogy. Any um, that is a very specific choice, I think, until the sequel trilogy is completed. I don't think it's as specific here, um, but I think it's just an interesting tidbit. Totally. So what did you think about this book, though? Like, where does it fall in your favorites of Star Wars books? I I think it's it's definitely not my favorite Star Wars book I've ever read, Um Lost Stars is still, I think, going to be my number one because that one just blew me out of the water when it came out. Um, I think this is somewhere like middle middle of the road for me. Um, like I said, I think I think because I read this book after you, and I was kind of finishing this book in conjunction with the audiobook, and it was really it was really cool, kind of hearing and reading both of those stories at the same time, and I think. For me, the biggest takeaway from this book was kind of what I was learning about the Jedi Order mm-hmm. um, from both of these stories. I think that was the most interesting thing for me and is something that I'm going to be returning to a lot. Um, and kind of how how we see Palpatine and his influence for these characters, that moving forward, I think was really fascinating. Um, the plot, I think, was fine. It didn't – it wasn't a gripping plot to me. But the the character relationships and the things we learned about the Jedi, I think, was what really sold this book for me. What about you? So when I finished it, I really liked it. But I agree that I have a couple of thoughts. First thing is that it took me a long time to get through this book. And I don't know if that's just because I was taking my time because you were behind me <laughs> and or, or what. Um, but it didn't. I didn't fly through this book like I do with other Star Wars 
books. But that said, I think that Claudia Gray writes so wonderfully that I really did want to read like every page and take my time through it and everything. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that's necessarily a negative and maybe I was just allowing myself to slow down in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is that this this book, I feel like we've been reading a lot of female-centric Star Wars books lately. And this book, well, with the exception, I guess, of Last Shot, um, and this book was the, f- like, it really felt like, <laughs> I don't know, I didn't, there wasn't a lot of female characters in this book, so... Um, I don't know if that – that's, again, just a comment. Like, (laughs) I don't know if that has anything to do with what I like about it, what I don't like about it. Um, Second – third. Third thing is that I I agree with you that I think it's in the middle. But I have to say, I do know that I will be returning to this book often for the very fact of all the mention of the prophecies. Yeah. That's the – It feels very important. Yeah, that's that's the weird thing. It's it's kind of what I was saying. It was like the plot, like the plot was fine. It moved along. What they were doing made sense, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the information that the book had was really cool. <laughs> and kind of the details that were threaded throughout this book, I found really fascinating. Um, it's kind of it's kind of become the thing where now I read everything I'm reading. I'm like, is this about Kylo? <laughs> Am I relating this to Kylo? Yes. <laughs> and I was yeah. doing that a lot in this book too. But the fact that this book is pre-Phantom Menace, we've got Qui-Gon Jinn who is very into the weird force stuff. We've got a lot of prophecy going on, some things that seem very pointed towards the sequel trilogy. Um, you kind of couldn't help but, at least if you're Caitlin, having that – thinking about Kylo Ren and how he fits into this book, how his, how his story um, – how this book will reflect on Kylo's story once it's finished. I mean, I think it will just because we can read into the prophecies, which we'll get into. We just keep kind of skirting around it. Yeah. Um, we can assign certain prophecies to different Skywalkers. Yeah. And – that's why I think that we can read this through the lens of thinking about the sequel trilogy, which I know is something that is definitely on the minds of every creative at Star Wars. Um, I don't know. I think that I really didn't like I enjoyed this book. I think that it would probably if I could. I I, I still I'm with you that I think Bloodline and Lost Stars are still up there with my favorite new new canon novels. I, Nothing will pass Revenge of the Sith for me. Um, I mean, Actually, the Rise of Skywalker novelization, if it is done super well in the way that it is reflective, just like Revenge of the Sith was, it could cross that for me. But I I feel like this book was a really interesting read. And to me, that's kind of all it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that's a really good way to put it, especially for you and I, knowing that we are Skywalker stands through and through. Um, <laughs> the fact that this book wasn't directly dealing with any of them, um, I think, is definitely going to color where it is in our ranking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it makes sense. I think you're right that like this book had to be really interesting for us to really respond to it personally, knowing where our Star Wars interests are. And I think it did that 100. percent Yes, for um, sure. And I recommend it. If you're listening oh, to yeah. this and you're into spoilers because this will be a spoilery discussion, I do recommend reading it because I think that 
It really is super well written. Claudia Gray is an amazing writer. She understands Star Wars. She understands characters. I would be happy if she wrote literally everything Star Wars, honestly. I'm still really hoping she writes the Rise of Skywalker novelization. Someone mentioned Matthew Stover coming back for that. And oh my that That's like... Yet- Oh, <laughs> that's such a dream because I know that he has like kind of distanced himself from Star Wars books in general. And he said he'll never write another Star Wars book. <sighs> but if he did, I think that, that the fandom would be set ablaze in a good yeah, way. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want Claudia to write the novelization. If she does, I will lose my mind. Yeah. I think it, like Claudia is my number one. And then like Matthew Stover is like pie in the sky. Yeah. Because um, I, <laughs> I really don't think it'll happen. But Claudia Gray could definitely happen. Um, and yeah, I, I've never disliked anything she's ever written. I, I think it's always so well done. Um, exactly. I know it kind of sounds like we're being a little um, Debbie Downer on this book, but it, w- it was a good book. Um, it's just not our favorite, I think, out of everything we read, which is fine. But I think that this book has a lot of really great things to be discussed and threaded into the future. And I and like Charlotte said, I know that we'll be referring to this book mm-hmm. a lot um, in future discussions. So what are some of your favorite aspects of this book? I think the the Jedi Temple, I think, is really fascinating to me, kind of how that works. Um, but I think I've mentioned it at the top. I really liked um, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and how they talked about each other in this book and really getting to see their inner monologues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Qui-Gon kind of questioning if he should tell Obi-Wan. Like, I don't think I expected there to be such a huge rift between them mm-hmm. to the point where Qui-Gon was like, well, maybe I should take this council position and then Obi-Wan can get a new master. Um, I didn't realize that it was quite that bad. I loved the drama of that. Yeah. And and then having um, – the chancellor revealed that he had been chosen for the council and he hadn't told Obi-Wan about it yet. And like, and, and I can so relate to Obi-Wan's feelings in the book of feeling like I'm never going to understand my master, but I still really want to impress him. But Mm -hmm. Oh my God, he frustrates me sometimes and how he handles things. Um, I thought that the way that Claudia wrote about all of these kind of conflicting emotions that Obi-Wan felt towards Qui-Gon, she did it so well. The crazy thing is that it's not crazy. I shouldn't say the crazy thing. But Claudia Gray in her past has written Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan fan fiction. And I think because of that, something we've talked about many times, when you write fan fiction as an act, you get to understand the characters more and everything. And I feel like for years and years of her thinking about the complexities of this relationship, it really shows on on the page because <laughs> it really comes through. Like like you said, you're surprised by that. And I, I was too. And I feel like it fits so well. It makes me look back at The Phantom Menace and even that first scene where Obi-Wan's like, I thought you said we should be mindful. Like all these things. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, I, I feel like I understand it so much more. And that's exactly what I wanted from this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of your other favorite parts? So there's a couple of things that I I, I, I don't really know how I feel about it, but I do like it. Like I, th- I think about it, I guess. Um, the, the plot line of this book is really similar to The Phantom Menace. And I find it kind of interesting. And I don't know if it's... I mean, I think that Star Wars is a reflection of you know, storylines over and over again. I think that's great. Um, But I do find it really fascinating that this is a story that we get 
And then we like move into the Phantom Menace. And now we understand that this is something that they've done before or something, you know, they've done something similar before, which is why their expertise is in this area. Mm-hmm. Like we have a planet that is going through, we have, a, we have a planet with a young queen and, you know, she's not under a, I mean, I guess they're kind of under attack. Right. And uh, then they deal with slavery and the implications of that. And, you know, the Jedi go there to kind of communicate about the fact that the treaty needs to go through. All these things are really similar and reflective of the Phantom Menace. And I thought that was really both interesting and cool and uh, a unique way to go about digging into the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Mm Qui-Gon. Because, like I said, we can look at the Phantom Menace now and understand their expertise. Yeah, I thought the the parallel to the Phantom Menace. I'm not sure how I feel about it overall. Like, yeah, the young yeah. queen. Um, I liked Fanray and how like her relationship with Rael. I thought was really fascinating, and the way that the the Jedi Council put Rael on Pajal um, because of what had happened with his own Padawan Nim. I, it was just like. Cool. Love that. <laughs> like, there's a lot going on there, <laughs> um, and I th- like. I think it did mirror nicely. It was a good contrast with Qui Gon and Obi Wan, kind of Fanray and Rael, especially at the end when Fanray, Fanry, Fanry, uh, how she basically said, "Like, you never really cared about me. Like, you, I was always just a placeholder for the Padawan you lost." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Rael says something at the end of the book where he is like. I care, like I did, genuinely care so much about her, like Fanray, uh, separate from Nim. But the way that I expressed that never, like I didn't communicate that clearly with her, and that could have been the whole reasoning behind why all of this happened. Or I, I didn't see it in front of me um, because I didn't tell her clearly what I was thinking. And Obi Wan and Qui Gon kind of go through that as well. Um, about them not having the best communication with each other about what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. I thought another aspect I really loved is, which is a major theme I think in the book, is the underestimation of the girl. And I think by the end, was it a really uh, interesting move that you know Fan Ray had <laughs> been pulling the strings basically the entire time, and she had this whole plan in place. I loved that. Because in that moment with her like fiery red hair, I was like, is this an Emphis Ness situation? Mm-hmm. Did you get that too? I haven't really heard anyone talk about that. And I I really kind of thought, oh my gosh, is this character Emphis's mother or oh. a descendant because of the mask? Because she was so intense. No, <laughs> and- I, I mean, I, I was just like, oh, they both have red hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> and because then she wore like the battle armor. They they discussed mm-hmm. that after. Yeah. And I know that Enfys's story, she talks about, you know, her mother wore the mask. And I, I can't remember if it was the mother before her, but I love this like matriarchal thing. And I don't know, maybe they were going for that. Maybe they weren't. But that's kind of what I took from it. And I, I really liked the fact that she was um, radicalized. And it provided a really interesting contrast to Padme um, because Padme, of course, you know, comes into battle in a surprising sense that she is a mastermind as well, but she handles it in a diplomatic sense and Fan Ray basically didn't. And I thought that that was 
that was a good way to draw the difference here mm-hmm. of over like violence versus like basically unnecessary violence versus necessary violence. Yeah, she has this really great quote at the end. I'm not sure if I highlighted it, but um, it's right here on page 309 and it's right after kind of the coup. And um, Qui-Gon is talking to Fan Ray and he says, with the future of the hyperspace corridor on the line, your bargaining position has only grown stronger. Will you negotiate? Will you help us find a peaceful solution? I've seen the cost of war, or I've seen the cost of peace. Fanray's eyes glittered with a febrile, angry light, and I prefer war. She's like, girlfriend, this girl's 14. <laughs> um, but I really liked – I was really surprised that it was Fanray in the end. I had honestly, like, from the beginning, I was like, oh, it's Caddy. It's definitely Caddy. Really? Um, yeah. I The way that she – the way that Caddy was, like, always mentioned by name but never, like, really discussed – like, no one was ever really talking about her, but she was always in the scene. I was like, it's definitely Caddy. <laughs> I, think I, I think you're supposed to think that. I mean, it was her yeah. um, in the end, but I didn't – I thought that Caddy was going to, like, pull a 180 and, like, try and kill Fanry. Fanry. I never – I was really surprised when Fanry was a part of it. And I think that that – it's one of those things where it's, like, I think it worked really well for the book about how they kind of – again, like, both Fanry and Caddy were in a lot of scenes, but they weren't doing a lot. And it's, like, all of these older, like, mostly men, and the, there were a lot of people from the corporation – what was the name of the corporation? Circa. Yeah, Circa. They were all there. Um, and there I think there are like some women who are involved in the leadership in yes, Circa. Yeah. Um, but all these like older people that are just kind of talking around Fanray all the time. And she's never like really full heartedly taking a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course it turns out that she's been the mastermind behind this whole problem that they've been trying to solve for the book, I think was really cool. That being said, I think it also would have been really fun, not a better direction for the story, but just a a different direction if we had been able to see all of that plotting from Fanray and Caddy um, kind of in the background. Like if they had kind of had their own B plot, it would have been fun to like get into Fanray's head as she's being radicalized. I think that would have been fun to see. And maybe we will get to see that story someday. I think because I, I liked how in the beginning they she made a point to be like, oh, well, there are like so many other people in the galaxy that I want to get to know. Like there's that young queen on Naboo. Like maybe we could be friends. But this whole time she's plotting this like serious uprising. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's kind of a chilling character when you think about her, especially right. at the end. So I hope we get to see more of her because she she's – She's fascinating. Yes. I really like I think it's Fanry. I don't know if it's Fan Ray, Fanry. I don't know. Fanry. I, I was saying I was saying Cheka with the corporation too in my head. It was like the Czech Republic. Okay. It's Faganic space. It's okay. I know. I know. I just I want to say it correctly, <laughs> even though there is no correct way. I totally agree. I feel like in my emphasis headcanon, I really want there to be this like anthology comic or storybook or something that shows this this descent into like warlord and then conversion into helping the rebe- rebellion. Mm-hmm. That would be so cool. I'm I'm sure we'll get more emphasis content at some point in the relatively near future. We need it. We she has such it. a good following, it. I think, in the community. And the way that they hyped up her character prior to solo i think they knew she would Mm -hmm. all right well are we ready to move on to part two yes let's do it okay so welcome to part two where we're going to be discussing the deeper themes so why don't we go through 
the major themes of the book and we can dissect it. So the first one that I really wanted to cover, and I think this is the overall theme of this book in a lot of different senses, is certain points of view and interpretations of certain events. And I think that obviously you get this expressed in the understanding of prophecies and dreams and premonitions, but you also get it in Obi-Wan's perception of Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon's perception of Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon's perception of the Jedi Council and Obi-Wan's perception of the Jedi Council. I think that all of these, this book does a really good job of highlighting how important it is to understand that everyone comes at things from a different viewpoint. And by the end of it, I think that the the thesis statement of this book is that these interpretations are really subject to every, like each individual and you and like that's a good thing. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I think that that's something that Qui-Gon has kind of always preached. Mm-hmm. Um, what I loved about this book, and this is when we'll – I think we'll kind of be referencing Dooku Lost because these – like Master and Apprentice jumps timelines a little bit, kind of going back to when Qui-Gon was first a Padawan of Dooku. And then Jedi Lost also does that as well, um, but more from Dooku's point of view when he gets Qui-Gon as an apprentice. Um, but then also kind of how Rael fits into all of this and all of their relationships, like Qui-Gon, Dooku, and Rael to the Force and to prophecy, um, like flipped a lot throughout both of these books, like Dooku and Qui-Gon in particular. Like Dooku, I think between the two – content like the two things the audio drama and the book he is either all in on prophecy then he's like no don't pay any attention to it then like Qui-Gon brings it up again he's like oh I'm very interested in this suddenly and um he has a very different relationship to it and then Qui-Gon of course comes at it from like oh this is something that my master kind of warns me against but then is like no okay let's study it together I don't know there's like the the different point of view and the different relationships to the things like prophecy I thought was really fascinating. And I I, I want to like do an outline of like where all of these things shift and change <laughs> because it <laughs> is really convoluted. But then these prophecies are really convoluted too. And Qui-Gon said this really interesting thing that I want to find the quote for real fast about reading prophecy and how it – can be dangerous, but then also how you should interpret them as well. Give me just a second. I highlighted so many things in the beginning of this book. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay. So um, it's here on page 43. And Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are talking about prophecy. And Obi-Wan is like tired of being in the archives. Um, <laughs> and Qui-Gon says, do you believe that studying the prophecies is a way of divining the future? And Obi-Wan wondered if this was a trick question. He says, isn't that the definition of a prophecy, a prediction of what's to come? And this is an interesting thing, too, that I think relates back to certain points of view. And Qui-Gon says, in some senses, but prophecies are also about the present. The ancient Jedi mystics were attempting to look into the future, but they were rooted in their own time, as we all are. They could only predict the future through the prism of their own experience. So by studying their words, their warnings, we learn more about their ways than any history hollow could ever teach us. And by asking ourselves how we interpret these prophecies, we discover our own fears, hopes, and limitations. Man. As, like, people who, like, study history – I thought that was such an interesting and like well put 
quote. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, history is told from a certain point of view, as were the prophecies, and told from a certain point in time as well. Um, And I think that Qui-Gon really comes to learn that in the book when he's looking, when he's like, oh, is this, is this prophecy happening right now? Is it happening right now? (laughs) Um, And he's like kind of obsessive about it, but he's viewing it like, but then like you have us as the audience and we're like, oh, this prophecy is definitely referring to something that's happening like 70 years in the future with Kylo Ren specifically. (laughs) And I thought it was cool kind of how that, how that played in the book. I think that. When I hear that quote that you just read about, like, the prism of your own experiences, I think about Anakin's prophecy of Padme dying mm-hmm. and how when he went to Yoda for help, Yoda doesn't really help that much, um, but he's like, <laughs> let go. But I think that if you think about that that vision, which we all do, and the two the two visions that we see in Revenge of the Sith are Padme dying, screaming for help, and then you have Obi-Wan and Padme, you know, Obi-Wan being like, don't give up Padme, whatever. Um, And I think that both of those are from the prism of Anakin's own experience. I think that you you look at that vision and you think that is, (laughs) that's exactly how his mother basically died in his arms. And, um, and then you think the second one is right after Anakin kind of struggles with the fact that Padme has been talking with Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan visited the apartment. And I think that both of those are just like, um, manifestations of Anakin's own anxiety and his, um, I don't know, his protectiveness over Padme as well. And I think that we can look at that and know that these visions, that's not exactly what happened to Padme. So Anakin's visions are wrong, like that everything that was said in those visions wasn't exactly true. And I think that we can imply that <laughs> visions are always an ever moving thing. And I think that you, you even we, – we have a whole episode about this. And <laughs> I think that this book just kind of underscores that you can have a vision. It can predict the future, but it doesn't necessarily imply that it's going to happen exactly like that. And if you obsess about it, then <laughs> you are only providing detriment to yourself and your own vision. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something this book definitely talked about, and I think it, it's good to compare it to Anakin's um, visions that he has in Revenge of the Sith because um, Qui-Gon in this book has a vision about the coronation ceremony and how it's all going to go wrong. And he doesn't want to tell the council about it, but Obi-Wan ends up telling the council about it, right? And mm-hmm. And Yoda, who I got to say, one of my favorite parts of this book is actually Yoda um, in the beginning when Qui-Gon's like, oh, man, like, I don't know. Like, why did you want me to be on the council? And Yoda's like, oh, I didn't. (laughs) I I voted no for you. (laughs) God, I loved that so much. I I laughed out loud. I was like, did I just – is this a good Yoda quote? (laughs) I thought it was so funny. And Qui-Gon's like, oh. Oh. (laughs) But (laughs) – I didn't vote for you. (laughs) But when Obi-Wan and the whole council are talking about how, you know, we can't trust visions and prophecies, like those who seek out the future, da-da-da-da-da, and Yoda makes the point of being like, well, Qui-Gon didn't seek this out. Like it came to him Um, and that there's this difference between – prophecies that are studied like what Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Dooku are doing versus ones that are given to force users which that has an interesting tangent into Dooku loss which we'll talk about on our Patreon um 
But I think there is a marked difference, which brings us back to Anakin and how Anakin, yes, those those visions were from a prism of his own experience, but he also wasn't seeking those things out. They came mm-hmm. to him. The thing with Anakin that gets tricky, though, of course, now is like, okay, but like who was giving him those visions? Was it the Force? Was it Sidious? Was it kind of some combination of all of those things? I'm kind of preying on Anakin's subconscious. I think it could be any or all of the above. Um, mm-hmm. But that there is a difference between studying visions and being given visions mm-hmm. or prophecy, sure. I guess. For sure. So let's talk about another the other theme, which is hardly even like – it's a theme. It is the theme, is the relationship between master and men- uh, or mentor and mentee, master and apprentice, the title of this book. And I mean, I talked about before how this book kind of changes my understanding of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Um, but what is it what does this book have to say about this really intense relationship between these two characters and like a Jedi and his Padawan? I think one, it tells us a lot about how these relationships are chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like kind of having where Padawans have these trials and they're basically like put on show. Um And masters can choose a Padawan if they want. They don't have to. (laughs) I I have such problems with that whole thing. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like being picked last at PE. Yeah, yeah. We see that in Dooku um, in the audio drama where one of the Padawans isn't chosen and he has to like Mm -hmm. repeat a year basically. It's held back. It's so sad. It's so sad. It is sad. Um, But he wasn't ready. One of the really fun details about this book is that Jedi, Jedi, um, like younglings don't get to see the whole temple until they're chosen as Padawans. Um, I think, it, I think it's when, I think it's in the section when Qui-Gon is chosen by Dooku mm-hmm. and Dooku's like, come on, like, don't you want to see the temple? And Obi- Qui-Gon's like, oh yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> and they're like all these parts of the temple that younglings like don't have access to until they become Padawans, which I think is so interesting. I'm like, wow. I mean, talk about like wanting a cross section of the Colossus. Like, I also want a cross section of the Jedi. Oh temple. my god, yeah. They're not going to reveal to us all of that, though. There's so no. there's so many like h- hidden things part uh, of the Jedi Temple that are just so cool. Yeah, I mean, the fact that there is there's like underground archives. Just just saying, if you are interested in our Dooku Lost discussion, there's like a whole chapter on the Lost Twenty in the Dooku Lost, and you mm-hmm. all know that I freaked out about that. But there are like hidden chambers in the in the Jedi Temple. There are like certain meditation rooms that are just for Padawans and Masters. You get to see more about their apartments, kind of hear how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact like these training and sparring rooms. Like there's one time when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are arguing and they're kind of not talking to each other. And Obi-Wan goes to like a training room and Qui-Gon comes and Obi-Wan's like, you can't be here. Like this is just for Padawans. Like this isn't your space. Which again, I thought like this – the separation of different types of rooms and spaces um, and like access to them. Like the fact that, ima- that, that Obi-Wan was like, oh, Qui-Gon, like you can't be in here. Like you're not supposed to be here because I would just assume that a master can go wherever he wants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Obi-Wan kind of made it seem like he couldn't. But their relationship, like I said earlier, I liked how they talked about each other. Like they both didn't know how to deal with the other one or how to understand them. But they – it was clear throughout the whole book that they each cared about the other person. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know how to talk about it and didn't know – like it was almost like they couldn't tell you why they cared about that person. Like I don't think Obi-Wan could have described in this book 
very succinctly why he wanted so badly to impress Qui-Gon when Qui-Gon is not his favorite person. Yeah, I think that's even a fault of the Jedi Order is that they don't really understand how to talk about their feelings. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what's happening like under underlying here is that Obi-Wan is so rule-focused that he kind of loses sight of a potential friendship with his master. It's a, a, To me, it's a really interesting starting point for Obi-Wan that makes so much sense to me about how he is so caught up in rules and like... I always think about Palpatine's line where he says, like, the dogmatic narrow views of the Jedi. I think that Obi-Wan gets really kind of caught up in that in a, in a way, and Qui-Gon doesn't. And I think the split between them is so interesting because as we see Obi-Wan evolve as a person, as a mentor, as a friend to Anakin, he kind of lets that loose a little bit, but never all the way in the way that Qui-Gon was as a mentor. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about this because I thought this was an interesting tidbit about Obi-Wan's character um, that they talk about near the end of the book where Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are finally kind of having a conversation about all of their feelings. Um, and Obi-Wan says, you know, I don't, I don't get it. Like I was, I was a rebel as a youngling. Mm-hmm. Oh my and God. So now surprising. I'm, and now I'm not. And Qui-Gon was like, well, don't be stupid. Like, of course they put like, of course, then you got put with me because you were going to go the opposite of whoever you were with. So they or you were you were chosen to be with me and I'm a rebel and so by me rebelling your rebellion was to then become a rule follower so interesting because it makes me think of like them being balanced out yeah I don't know how I feel about that change though like I guess that I guess I guess my headcanon has always been that Qui-Gon was like type a top of the class kind of student um and maybe I just need, like, time to get used to the new reality that that wasn't actually who Obi-Wan was always as youngling, even though he has now spent the bulk of his life that way. Um, <laughs> or even, like, after this conversation, why he didn't become more of a rebel, where I guess, like, throughout his time with Anakin, then perhaps he kind of finds a way to kind of toe the line a little bit more with Anakin um, but never completely. But I, yeah, I was really surprised when he was like, I was like such a rule breaker as a youngling. I was like, what? Oh, we there's, there's two things that I think about is that one, I'm so with you. Like, I can't imagine Teenage Rebellion Obi-Wan at all. No. But I can imagine Teenage Rebellion you and McGregor. So maybe that's where it comes from. Mm. Second, it really does kind of underline to me the tragedy of the friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin because Anakin ever the rebel secret wife etc I I feel like if Anakin were to confide in Obi-Wan Obi-Wan might understand and understanding this piece of Obi-Wan's past might it, it kind of does underline that tragedy of you know a failed communication between these two because mm-hmm. I do think that Obi-Wan would have understood and if his character was seriously a rule bra- rule follower this entire time maybe I would think differently. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. The um the communication issue between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan I thought was kind of perfectly summed up in this passage from page 231 when like I said they're kind of finally having one of their conversations Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and um Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan is like, why didn't you ever teach me how to do, like, cool Jedi fighting? Like, <laughs> I'm so lame on the battlefield because I only know the basics. <laughs> and Qui-Gon starts going through this whole reasoning. And he says, 
Um, most apprentices want to rush ahead to styles of fighting, yada, yada. Most masters let them. But I wanted you to be grounded in your technique. I wanted you to understand the basic cadences so well that they would become instincts, that you would be almost untouchable. Above all, I wanted to give you the training you needed to accomplish anything you set your mind to later on. Obi-Wan remained quiet for so long that Qui-Gon wondered if he were too angry to really hear any of what he'd said. But finally, his Padawan nodded. Thank you, Qui-Gon. I appreciate that. But, Obi-Wan, or Qui-Gon says, but what? You could have said so, Obi-Wan replied. And then he left. And I remember reading that, and that that really hit me in the feels. Like, that passage. So I was like, to Ob- like, Obi-Wan heard that, and he was like, that all makes sense. I get it. Why didn't you tell me that? I feel like the same thing could be said about Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship, though. Mm-hmm. Is And that's what's so crazy about that line is, like, that I get it. You could have said that um, about, like, literally anything that Anakin did. And I think the only time, basically, that Obi-Wan and Anakin have that, you know, heart-to-heart is right before Obi-Wan goes off to Utapau in Revenge of the Sith. And that's why that scene is so meaningful because it's the first time I feel like that Obi-Wan is – appraising Anakin's journey and his, you know, his knighthood and everything. And I feel like they, they, Obi-Wan has really learned from Qui-Gon in this moment where, or not learned from Qui-Gon in this moment where he maybe just doesn't understand anymore how that would have felt. I think, I kind of think maybe a bit the opposite. I think Obi-Wan does communicate better with Anakin, mm. um, especially like as being the mentor. I think Obi Wan goes to great great lengths to explain why he's <laughs> saying things like the whole like that lightsaber is your life, and Anakin's like, I got it. Okay, you're right about that. <laughs> um, but rather, I think the tragedy more in this instance falls on Obi Wan and the fact that he's book ended by two people who he cares so deeply about, but don't, but they don't confide in him in the same way that I think he tries to confide in them um i I don't know if master and apprentice is the best example of obi-wan confiding in qui-gon just because they're kind of at odds in this book but i think from what's suggested at the end of the novel obi-wan gets to that point i think qui-gon does too but obi-wan spent so much of his padawan hoodship um feeling so insecure about his place as qui-gon's padawan um and a lot of that could have been remedied if he had just had some kind of affirmation or explanation from Qui-Gon. Um, and then he would have been like, okay, maybe I don't agree. Like maybe I really do want to be learning the flashier lightsaber techniques, but I guess <laughs> I get it. And that's just like an annoying tidbit of my master. But I understand why he's doing what he's doing. And then the same thing with Qui- with Anakin. Like the, the Revenge of the Sith novelization talks about this so well that like Palpatine had to get – Obi-Wan out of the picture because if Anakin was given the chance to tell Obi-Wan about what was happening, Obi-Wan would 110% be there for him mm-hmm. um, because Obi-Wan cares so much about Anakin that he – like Obi-Wan is the only person I think who probably could have reached Anakin um, if he had known what was going on before he really fell to the dark side. Right. And Obi-Wan is like bookended by these two characters that that don't tell him things when he mm-hmm. is the one who's balancing them um, and could have helped them. Yeah, you're right about that. I agree. Oh. <laughs> so you convinced me. 
Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I mean, it is what they say, man. Star Wars is tragedy. Obi-Wan, love you. <laughs> what I think is interesting about Obi-Wan, like now that we have a little bit more about him, like if you were then to make like a character arc of him to what we see in the original trilogy, in the first trilogy, um, with and, and in Empire Strikes Back, I'm thinking particularly of him wanting Luke to kill Vader. I don't know. I've, I've just that's always been something that I've thought is really interesting with Obi Wan's character about how he in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. I feel like Obi Wan kind of comes to the realization of the faults of the Jedi Order, mm-hmm. especially. I'm thinking of the one scene when they're telling Obi Wan to tell Anakin to spy on Palpatine, yeah. and Obi Wan's like, Anakin is so loyal. Like, he will never have faith in us again, and I don't think he should, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do this anyway. And then, like, all of that came crumbling down around him. And I always, like, wondered what happens to Obi-Wan in the interim where he loses hope for Anakin and for Vader um, to get him to the point in Empire Strikes Back where he's like, definitely kill him um, to Luke. And yeah, I know you're, you're so right about that. I think that both Yoda and Obi-Wan hold the the understanding that you have to kill him to get rid of him. And I obviously, well, sorry. Obviously they're wrong by that because we we see that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I think that's something I need to think about more with Obi-Wan because it's something that's always kind of confused me as we move into the original trilogy with his character because like Obi-Wan tells Luke to kill Vader, but Obi-Wan can do that himself in Revenge of the Sith because, you know, he's just so distraught, you know, like I loved you. You were my brother. He couldn't bring himself to do it. Even though, like you said, he, he and Yoda both think that the only way to fix this problem is to get rid of Vader, but Obi-Wan couldn't do that himself. But then he puts that burden on Anakin's son. Well, I think that it's even more than that in that it is Obi-Wan's sudden understanding and thinking, and we see this in Twin Sons and Rebels, that Luke is the chosen one. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that there's totally an argument, we've talked about this before, that Luke is the chosen one. But I think that, it, I think that he thinks that Luke's actions of killing Darth Vader are the, is the only way to go. Which, yeah. again, is totally underscored even in this book in that that's just a wrong interpretation, but it is a interpretation yeah. of the Chosen One prophecy. I guess it makes me wonder, again, what kind of communication Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon were having post-Revenge of the Sith. Um, because I don't think that – I can't imagine, at least at this juncture, Qui-Gon – telling Obi-Wan like as they're finding out about the living force and the cosmic force and Qui-Gon is presumably teaching Obi-Wan how to become a force ghost when he does eventually die that Qui-Gon is like yep the only thing we can do now is kill Anakin kill Vader yeah he doesn't say that and I don't know if you've read Master and Apprentice the short story no I haven't from a point of view I was like aren't we talking about Master and Apprentice (laughs) no um the the Claudia Gray short story uh, which takes place right after Revenge of the Sith when um, Obi-Wan is speaking to Force Ghost Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. And it, Qui-Gon really underscores the importance of protecting Luke and Anakin and all these things. But he doesn't say, we need to kill <laughs> um, we need to kill Vader. 
in in no sh- way, shape, or form. But and it's way more vague than that, as you can probably well, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy force stuff usually is. Yeah. So let's talk about Dooku and, uh, and Qui-Gon as the master and apprentice relationship there, because this is the first time that we really got to see that, which I thought was super intriguing. And I loved exploring this and I really loved exploring it in uh, Jedi Lost as well, even if that was just from a, for like a short period of time in that audio drama. Mm-hmm. This was actually my least favorite Padawan and master relationship to dive into. Um, really? Yeah, I didn't care for it as much in the audio drama, and I didn't care for it as much in the book either. I really loved Dooku as a youngling and Dooku as a Padawan and his relationship with his masters. Um, I even really thought Dooku and Rael's relationship was interesting, Qui-Gon and Rael really interesting. Um, I just wasn't super invested or interested in Dooku and Qui-Gon, which is surprising because I thought I really would be. Um, I don't know. It just wasn't the most exciting for me, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think that in a way, Dooku and Qui-Gon are almost so similar that it's not as interesting as if they were super opposed of each other, like Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon or even Qui-Gon and Mm Rael, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I think that you're probably hitting the money about why I didn't find it as interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that, you know, Dooku's understanding of what was forbidden and what wasn't forbidden was... A fascinating part of this book, though, the exploration into studying the theories and the importance of stud- – not theories, prophecies um, – the importance of studying in the archives I thought was really interesting as well. I just don't think we've seen that throughout canon before. If I'm mistaken, I'm sorry, but I thought that it was really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was too. There's the time when – Obi-Wan or Qui-Gon is um, when Qui-Gon is wanting to say the prophecy and it's in a period where Dooku is like, no, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. And he's got the – I think I think Qui-Gon's got the holocron mm-hmm. um, and, or a holocron, I suppose. And then he comes back and it's really quite sinister um, the way it's laid out in the book of Dooku kind of sitting at the table and – I guess, like, this dark energy around him. And he's telling Qui-Gon, like, no, come closer. <laughs> now we can study it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and how Qui-Gon confides in Rael later on about how he was, like, something something bad was happening with Dooku. <laughs> and Rael was, like – Rael was kind of surprised that Dooku was even, like, revisiting the prophecies because he kind of said he wasn't. And they also – the way that both the audiobook and Master and Apprentice discuss the – the way that prophecy was such an integral part of the ancient Jedi order and is now no longer because like presumably a lot of Jedi got lost in the visions and it sounds like a good number of them fell to the dark side. I was just like, wow, that sounds like such an interesting time. <laughs> Ryan Johnson's and trilogy maybe? I, that's what I keep thinking about. Oh my God, I want it so bad. Wouldn't it be so interesting? <laughs> so interesting. If Oh my god! I'm just like imagining all these Jedi like pr- predicting the epic Star War, the Skywalker saga, and just going mad even thinking about it. Oh my god! It's like us. <laughs> it's all speculators. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, there was this. I'm trying to find it. This really interesting quote about that. Okay, so around page, where are we? One ninety eight. They talk about the dark Jedi. Um, 
Qui-Gon having prophecies of his own um, and how they're kind of talking about where all of them, all of the characters, like both Yoda, um, Dooku, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, they're all trying to decide when a, when prophecy becomes dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, like they want there to be this fine line, like Qui-Gon's having a dream and he writes uh, or he can't sleep and he's thinking about it. And he says the holocron contains the prophecies and the prophecies tell us the future. That isn't the dark side. That's just being awake, isn't it? Um, but you know, all of the Jedi masters are like, no, that's, that's the dark side. <laughs> um, because of the histories that they've learned about Jedi who have fallen. They even reference like specifically dark Jedi, which I think is a term that wasn't that pulled from the EU. Yeah. I feel like that was in the EU. Yes. Um, so possibly getting explorations of dark Jedi, what that really means. Um, there's just a lot. They also talk about reincarnation. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. They, they talk about the dark Jedi. Another prophecy said the Sith would disappear yet appear again. Most of the notes on this prophecy interpreted it as the potential reincarnation of the Sith Order. But Qui-Gon wondered whether it might not be referring to a specific Sith, a legendary Darth Rend, who had been believed dead but returned to wage war against the Jedi once more. But he shouldn't even be thinking about that, not if he wanted to be a good apprentice to Dooku. Um, I just love throughout all of these books with these masters and apprentices how they all really want to impress the other, but they don't know how. (laughs) And they're kind of pulled into their own interests as well, like on their own path. For as tethered as they are to their master, they keep kind of finding ways to rebel. And I think Qui-Gon – this is what Qui-Gon tells Dooku. I actually thought this was really interesting too um, about their relationship when Dooku was like – before he started studying the prophecies with Qui-Gon and he tells Qui-Gon like, no, I need you to stop doing this. Like return the holocron to the archives. And Qui-Gon very specifically says, um, if that's how you want it, I won't study the prophecies for as long as I'm your Padawan. And Dooku's like – Oh, but you will once you're not anymore. <laughs> Qui-Gon's like, yes, if I if I want to. <laughs> and I, I thought, I don't know, I like that because Obi-Wan is kind of the same way that we see him doing that in this book where um, he's the one that goes to the council to tell them about Qui-Gon's vision, even though he knows that it, it's not what Qui-Gon would want him to do. And then, of course, Anakin like majorly rebels and like falls to the dark side. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. So that happened. <laughs> Let's talk about Qui-Gon and Rael, because I think that this was such a smart decision by Claudia Gray to include this character. And then also Kevin Scott put it in, put him in um, Dooku Jedi Lost as well. I think it's really a fascinating dynamic between a former Padawan of Dooku and Rael and then Uh, Qui-Gon. And the whole question really in the creation of this character probably came from the fact that Qui-Gon is probably seen as like the most rogue Jedi um, that we have in at least the nine movies, right? I think that we see him as, I don't know, he he kind of goes against a lot of the council's wishes in in The Phantom Menace, which Mm -hmm. makes him a really interesting character to a lot of people. But how do you underscore Qui-Gon's own understanding of the Force and why he's still a Jedi and why he's not like a, quote, gray Jedi or anything like that? Well, how you do it is you introduce a character like Rael, who 
is potentially even more, quote, gray than Qui-Gon ever was. And you have this character who, you know, sleeps around, which I think is something that Qui-Gon is so aghast by, which I found fascinating. What did you think about that? I was really glad they talked about it. Me too. Because that's like – that. the the thing is too that that's such like a fanfic-y – fan fiction-y headcanon mm-hmm. about um like the the jedi they they can have they're not supposed to have attachments but that doesn't mean they can't like engage in certain activities mm-hmm. um and i think you, you can see that in a lot either as like a main plot point of um fan fiction or it's just like a side thing and i thought it, i thought it was really great that they included it in here because that means that there's i don't know that there are jedi who are doing like things outside of what would be considered a part of the code. Right. Um, but they're, they're like – they're interpreting the code to work for them. Um, and maybe they are like genuinely not having any attachments in those kinds of situations, which it doesn't really sound like Rael has a genuine yeah. attachment to the, the woman that he's sleeping with. Yeah. I feel like – I looked at that situation and I was like, I don't know if I trust Rael at all, but I, I – I, felt like it wasn't necessarily hindering his ability to be a Jedi, but then I guess by the end, he completely missed the point. So maybe it was. <laughs> I don't know. I says I, at one point, he says, like, I guess we all have to interpret – he basically says, like, we have to all interpret the code for ourselves. Right. Which, again, just goes back to the whole theme of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, you say it's fan fiction-y, but I do think that, it w- at least in the old EU, like, Coyote Mundi had, like, 40 children or something like that. Like, oh, something yeah. crazy. And I, I feel like it – which, again, Dooku Jedi Lost gets into a little bit about, like – your species and your like where your planet is from like there are certain customs attached to that and you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. get rid of that once you come back into once you come to the jedi temple like you can't necessarily erase that part of your heritage which again is a huge theme of star wars lately and i think that i i don't i wouldn't say that like that is a big part of rail's like past but clearly it is I don't know. It was an interesting glimpse into his eight-year mission away from the Jedi completely, mm-hmm. That, which, again, is like a really fascinating thing. I did not know that Jedi could go on eight-year missions. Like, casual. What? Yeah, super casual. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Anakin was on an eight-year mission and like couldn't see Padme or something like that? <laughs> That's where my brain goes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Crazy. So, I mean, yeah. There's so many – moving pieces about that we're setting up for the second trilogy in this book as far as especially in regards to real having this eight-year mission but they're installing him in a political position mm-hmm. but they're not politicians yes and I love that that gets brought up so much that the, that yoda and mace are like we're peacekeepers. So to, like we don't make these decisions. Like we work at the behest of the Republic. And then you look at some or like in this book, they're separate from the Republic. Like they're not as as entangled as they will become very shortly. But they they have the authority to send a Jedi who did this really questionable thing. Not even questionable. He killed his Padawan. Um and they send him to watch over another young girl in a position of political power. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel like this 
whole book really does underscore the beginnings of all the problems with the Star Wars that are to come. Mm -hmm. And it like shows the cracks in the foundations and the Jedi Council and all of the problems that we know come to a huge head in um, in Revenge of the Sith and the Attack of the Clones and everything like that. Um, it's really interesting. I think the the whole dynamics between all of these masters and apprentices, I think it really opened my eyes a lot to the relationships that are formed within the Jedi Order because I think I think all of these masters and apprentices at some point throughout were at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were having these like difficult conversations or thinking about how frustrated they were with the other. Um, mm-hmm. But they're all trying to operate in this like, well, I have to be respectful and dutiful and obedient because he's my master. But I'm also really frustrated with him yeah. um, and kind of how they're coping with that. Um, I thought it was really nice to see the the different dynamics. I drew out this like the other day, I drew out this like whole family tree of <laughs> like the Jedi Order as it relates – really, it stemmed from Dooku and then kind of going down. And like the parallels and the the balance really and the, the um, complexity of all these relationships, I thought – it was like I knew they were there, but between Master and Apprentice and Jedi Lost, getting to see those dynamics unfold a lot more and have a lot more detail about them – I thought was really kind of one of the strengths of the book. And even the fact that, you know, they asked Qui-Gon to go to Pajal to deal with Rayal. And it's like, oh, well, you're his friend. And Qui-Gon is like, I guess, but I don't I don't know if I think the Jedi Order made the right decision mm. to not just release him from the Order or put him in jail or whatever it is they do. Um and it was really hard for him too. And then when he knew that Paj- or that Rayal had had contact with Dooku, and he's like, well, what do you like? Dooku hasn't contacted me at all. And there's like that almost like jealousy that's going into that too. But in flashbacks, Qui Gon was like admired Rayal so much and would confide in him about, you know, am I doing the right thing with Dooku? Am I not? Da, 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 da. Like, there's just all these shifts in the relationships and and I really liked I really liked the tension between all of these characters in this book. Agreed. Totally agree. And one of the fun um, one of the fun passages between Rael and Qui-Gon, I thought, um, which again, I'm like, oh, this is about Kylo. <laughs> this is page 259. And they're finally talking about Dooku and like everything that Rael did as well with his Padawan. And they're talking about the prophecies. And Rael says, Let's say I believe that someday there's going to be perfect balance in the Force thanks to some kind of chosen one. Do you ever really think about what that would mean, Qui-Gon? And me, I'm like, oh my god, Charlotte, I think about this all the time. All the time. No idea. <laughs> and Rael goes on to say, it would mean the darkness would be just as strong as the light. So it doesn't matter what we do because in the end, hey, it's a tie. It doesn't matter which side we choose, which is so fascinating. And I'm like, wow, I really have to sit with this for a minute. Um And then Qui-Gon says, and this is the quote that I think everyone was pulling, I think it's on the cover of the book. Um, Qui-Gon says, it matters. It matters which side we choose. Even if there will never be more light than darkness, even if there can be no more joy in the galaxy, then there is pain. For every action we undertake, for every word we speak, for every life we touch, it matters. I don't turn toward the light because it means someday I'll win some sort of cosmic game. I turn toward it because it is the light. Rael turned off his lightsaber then, but the contest wasn't completely over. And again, there's like this tension between them that I really loved. And Rael says, kind of accusingly, you've made mistakes, Qui-Gon, like you've touched darkness. 
Yes, I have, Qui-Gon says. No doubt I will again. This isn't a choice we make once and walk away from. It's the work of a lifetime. Like, like these conversations were so intense between all of these characters, and the things they're talking about are so esoteric as well. (laughs) I was just like, I couldn't agree more with that whole passage. That's the whole thing about it. uh, What both of them are saying, too. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's it's like, oh, points were made from both sides. It's it's just so good, and the and and I wonder if other master and Jedi relationships or master and apprentice relationships are having these kinds of difficulties because you look at someone like Rayal, and a super interesting tidbit about Rayal is that he was chosen to be a Jedi when he was five years old, mm-hmm. and there and Qui Gon is like, don't think they'll ever do that again. <laughs> And even Obi-Wan was chosen when he was three, which yeah. they say is old too. Yeah. And then the fact that Dooku, like he still had connection to his family and the way that that plays out in Jedi Dooku, in Dooku Jedi Lost is really fascinating, especially how the Jedi Order responds to that as well. Um, and then how they respond to Rael. And Qui-Gon talks a lot about how the Jedi Order gave a lot of allowances to Rael because he um, has memories of a home and that changes things for him. But then Qui-Gon is like, I used to think that was okay until the thing happened with his Padawan Nim. And now I'm not so sure. But like, Dooku left and Dooku like abandoned me, <laughs> but apparently he's talking to Rayal and not me. And <laughs> I don't know. It's just there were there are a lot of layers to all of their relationships with each other. And when you do write it out, which I have I have that family tree I wrote on Twitter if you want to look at it. It's it's so complex. <laughs> like <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And I really think that was a strength of both of these books slash audio drama. Yes, exactly. Okay, let's talk about the prophecies. It's been hanging over our heads. Let's talk about them. (laughs) I think that we should go through all of them that are listed and just kind of, because we'll be here all day if we kind of dive deep into really all of them, but let's kind of go through our own interpretation of them. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the first one. She who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. Is it about Kylo? (laughs) I think it's about Kylo. I think that it's about the she is Leia, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I can't say obviously. I shouldn't say obviously because all of these prophecies are products of their time. Exactly. I think that we can look at this and be like, oh, obviously Leia was born in the darkest period um, and she gave birth to darkness. But at the same time, all those discussions about Ben when he was in the womb is that he was like this big you know, burst of light and the joy of, you know. he had a shot of darkness through him. He did, but what was he really just like pure darkness? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. So I think that this prophecy is really interesting because then I think I go through it and I'm like, oh no. (laughs) I'm not worried about it as far as like from a redemption point of view um, because she was she who will be born to darkness. She was born of Darth Vader, but she was also born of Anakin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was still good. It's like our barometer of dark side that we talk about every every once in a while. And how even though she was born at a in a period of darkness, but also from someone who was aligned with the dark side doesn't mean that that's where things stayed. And she gave birth to someone who was born on the light side but had this shot of of darkness and that darkness eventually overcame him or overwhelmed him 
But that doesn't mean he can't return to it just like Anakin did as well. Well, I think that that what you just said kind of hammers home a different theory that it doesn't maybe it doesn't necessarily refer to a specific a specific person of darkness but leia's birth of ben happened over the the battle of jakku Hmm. and i i feel like that was truly the beginning of the war between the first order and the or like basically the beginning of the sequel trilogy returning the the, pro- the problematic nature of the wars continuing again mm-hmm. and in this moment darkness was reborn yeah yeah that is but maybe about- it's not necessarily like a person but it it's is time period it's a time period yes yeah okay so then the next one is the one that kind of ends up taking center stage um which is when the Kyber that is not Kyber shines forth, the time of prophecy will be at hand. What do you think about this one? Because it feels so on the nose for the whole like, oh, this looks like Kyber crystals. It's not Kyber crystals <laughs> for me. Yeah, I I don't know. It was it was a weird one to I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Um and then I'm like, will this have any kind maybe this is just applicable to the book? And it won't have any – because, again, as the audience, we're looking at all these prophecies knowing everything that comes down the line. And we're like, oh, she who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. That's Leia. Um, but, like, Qui-Gon, when he reads that, he has no concept of Leia. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of things I think this could be referring to, um, at least throughout Star Wars canon. When the Kyber that is not Kyber shines forth, I think of the Death Star – using kyber crystals and synthesizing them to mm-hmm. you know destroy planets and systems um the time of the prophecy will be be at hand and this was the beginning of luke kind of taking up the mantle of a hero hmm, so that's interesting i like that yeah and then i also think about uh jin Erso, who the when um chair imwe says the strongest stars have hearts of kyber obviously you think of the death star strongest star but then he says that to Jin, who has the piece of kyber around her neck and she could be the strongest uh the 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 kyber that is not kyber that is shining forth to allow for the prophecy to can to to begin yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and like the, the the most epic prequel to the original trilogy as rogue one is you know I don't know. That's good. Yeah. I I was just like, oh, this is for the book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it, it is. It totally <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. But that they can have multiple uses. It has to. Yeah, it's not like a single use prophecy. It's like once it's done, it's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the whole point. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then the next one is one will ascend to the highest of the Jedi despite the foreboding of those who would serve with him. I think for me, my first thought, of course, is Anakin. And how they're like, well, I guess we'll give you a seat on the council once you start doing this for us. And everyone's like, mm, maybe we shouldn't do that. And they're like, oh, I think we are. <laughs> yeah. I think that maybe this one also in terms of the book, maybe it was referring to Qui-Gon as well. But I don't know if like be- because he was so conflicted about whether or not to take up the the, the seat on the Jedi Council. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's kind of a stretch theory as well. I think you're right. I think it's about Anakin. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. So deep because I'm like, oh, order 66. Yeah. 
But what's the nameless? I don't know. (laughs) 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 Only through the sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order, so the Jedi Order, cleanse the sin done to the nameless. This one is a confusing one. I mean, it's not that confusing. I think you're like, oh, Order 66 happens. It has to happen in order for the the great war to begin in order to restore the Jedi, I guess, at the very end of Return of the Jedi, I suppose. Yeah, but they weren't restored. And I what I think is the interesting piece that throws me off in this one is how it says the Order cleanses the sin done to the nameless. Like the Order itself has to sacrifice its own people when that's not really what happened. The Order, the Jedi Order was bombarded and destroyed. Yeah. I, I, I Ahsoka just came to my mind when thinking about this. Mm. The sacrifice of many Jedi. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this at all, but this one's tough. This one's a tough one. And yeah, maybe it'll, so this will be one that we'll come back to. Yeah. So let's move on to the next one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. This one is so weird. Yeah. This one is weird. The danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. It will threaten the entire galaxy. I just the, – the imagery of an egg is kind of strange to me. <laughs> and I don't know. For some reason, I think of snakes – and it kind of creeps me out. I think it's supposed to creep you out. Like, yeah. I think that obviously, I keep doing that. Obviously, I think that this this prophecy refers to this Palpatine. Jo- I mean, oh okay, it could be Palpatine <laughs> because it's not the danger of the past is not past. It's still forever there, and it is just waiting to be awoken again. Oh, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it either. But I also think it's just the. The, the nature of the Sith as well. At this point mm-hmm. in Master and Apprentice, they think the Sith are extinct. And they're not. And we know that because that's what happens in The Phantom Menace. Um, and I think that that's the danger of the past is like that the, the wars of the past, the great wars of the Jedi versus the Sith are not over and will never be over because it's just they're just waiting for that that fulcrum to fall essentially um Mm -hmm. for the egg to crack to threaten the entire galaxy as it does in the phantom menace and onwards but i think that even just referring to it as palpatine is really interesting really creepy really creeped out honestly (laughs) (laughs) the the idea of palpatine just like hibernating in an egg and then like he cracks and then he and then you hear the (laughs) (laughs) it's like the trailer yeah 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 that's the that's the egg cracking (laughs) oh god well we have the 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 starkiller base planet splitting that's the egg cracking oh oh boy okay so the next one is when the force itself sickens Past and future must split and combine. Uh, this one is so Raylo. This one is so Raylo. It's also it, it also really feels like the Annie Dalla reincarnation theory. Yes. I mean that's deep, but when the force itself sick- sickens, I think that the, things are real real bad in the beginning of the Force Awakens, and then Ray mm-hmm. comes into the picture and understands that past and future, their visions potentially when they touched hands, must split and combine. 
So I, th- I think it's so fascinating that they must split, like they're splitting at the end of The Last Jedi, and they will combine for The Rise of Skywalker because these things have to work together in order to, you know, redeem the past and restore the future. Mm-hmm. And the egg has cracked, so like the- now they got to make an omelet. Ugh, yeah, yum. <laughs> <laughs> So this one was my favorite one, the last one, which is a chosen one shall come born of no father and through him will ultimate balance and the force be restored. And I think this is one we're going to be returning to a lot through the discussion of the chosen one. We kind of referenced it earlier. Is it Anakin? Is it Luke? Is it Kylo? Um, because the the word choice here of through him will ultimate balance and the force be restored, not it isn't by him will ultimate balance and the force be restored. So through him, through his progeny, Luke, wow. and then subsequently Kylo. Or even through him in a ghost sense as well, like a, a power sense. Charlotte is always pushing for that Anakin force ghost. <laughs> I just, I, to me, I, I hear you and I agree with you that it is through him by his progeny, his you know successor, Ben Solo. But I also feel like... It can't be forgotten that the original six Star Wars movies are all about Anakin Skywalker. And Mm -hmm. I want that really – and he is the chosen one. I think that that has been confirmed multiple times by George Lucas, by Pablo Hidalgo. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that has to come back in a sense. And I'm not sure how. I think it can come back in a way like you mentioned because I think that that is just the extension of the the chosen one prophecy. But Mm -hmm. overall, I feel like – it does we do have to be reminded that Anakin is the chosen one the one who is born of no father yeah I definitely think Anakin is the chosen one but the fact that it says the the prophecy will be fulfilled through him and not by him Mm -hmm. that that has a lot of connotations also him as the pronoun fascinating yeah yeah exactly and so Anakin can s- still is the chosen one, but his work isn't finished yet. The prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet. He was the chosen one that started this story, that started the family tree, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. And now we're finally coming to the end of it or to the end of a very long chapter. Mm. Anyway, I really like that one because when I was like, oh, it doesn't say through or it doesn't say by him, implying that like balance in the force has not been restored yet. Right. I think I want to print out all of these and put them up by my podcasting desk so that we can refer to them in the next year. Oh, that's a good idea. I, th- I think that we both should do the same yeah, or like at least put them in a note on our phone or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Because I, they, I do feel like they're really important. And the the one that um, she who will be born to darkness and will give birth to darkness was actually written in old Alderanian, which I found also fascinating, which makes me think that mm-hmm. it is all about Leia. The line is supposed to be drawn, I think, between those very clearly. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, Um, especially for the audience, if not our characters. They're all interesting, and I actually can't wait to kind of look upon them retroactively and see what they were referring to because Star Wars is so sneaky. They know. And so kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about in this book was the topic of slavery that came up throughout this story. And it's something that has come up a lot in, 
I mean, it's always been in the background of Star Wars, but it was something that – it was one of my lows for Queen Shadow was that the slavery storyline was kind of dropped. And this is kind of the opposite because Qui-Gon put a lot of emphasis on wanting to help the enslaved people from the Cheka, Cheka um Corporation. But then in The Phantom Menace, he tells Anakin, he's like, I didn't come here to free slaves. Yeah. Like I'm just here for you. And that contrast, I, I don't I don't know how I feel about it. Right now I'm like, why why would we take so much time to emphasize that Qui-Gon Jinn is kind of going out of his way to try and get freedom for these enslaved people? But in on Tatooine, it's like, I'm not here to free slaves. That's not what I'm here for right now. Like I think he obviously feels sympathy for them, but he's like, This isn't I don't I this isn't the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted your thoughts on that and what – am I kind of reading too much into it? What do you Oh, think? I don't think you're reading too much into it at all. I think its inclusion in this story is um, part of the larger Star Wars narrative, at least recently. I think that um, if you want to boil down the theme of slavery throughout Star Wars is that some – it goes back to our defiance discussion, I think, of like – someone being under the control of someone else and i think that that is something that they just keep hammering home throughout every star wars story and i don't think it's a coincidence that it's in queen shadow and here as well and i'm with you that i think there's a weird disconnect between that and i just still don't really know what to think i wish that sabe had that that storyline in queen shadow had been kind of completed a little bit more as well but i do it makes me think, like, are are we going to see the freedom of slaves at the end of The Rise of Skywalker? You know, Anakin's whole dream, like he had a dream that he came back and freed all the slaves. That's a huge part of The Phantom Menace. And it's a huge part of Anakin's whole story. And it just it makes me really question and wonder how this is all going to wrap up, because I really do want some resolution here for um, like the slaves in the galaxy. You know, I, I think that it it's important. I think it'll be something that is – I don't know if I anticipate to see it in The Rise of Skywalker. I think that'll focus pretty heavily on Rey and Ben. But I think it is something – it's something that we talk a lot about, about the the trading of, of resources mm. and exploitation of resources that has really been a background theme and a pretty heavy background theme in a lot of the content that has come out since the Disney era. I think – a lot of the plot points for a lot of these stories have been driven by the trading of resources. Mm-hmm. Who has what? Who doesn't have? Of course, Solo need. is the entire – that's the entire plot line of Solo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> that's kind of what's happening here too. Not only mm-hmm. is it about opening up communications with Pajal, but it's also the Churka and – I mean, of course, um, Pax and Rahara. We haven't even discussed them. But Pax and Rahara, that is Rahara's whole backstory is that she was able to free herself from mm-hmm. that enslavement. Um, but yeah, I just I, – I think perhaps we'll get other stories of that later on about specific instances of planets that have been freed, people that have been freed because obviously it happens in a lot of different ways throughout the galaxy. Um, and again, it kind of – I think it goes back to the um, the 
problems with the Jedi Order. Like you would think that the Jedi Order's first priority and Qui-Gon kind of says so much of like, well, shouldn't our priority here be the slaves um, and like freeing them? But instead, the Jedi Order is taking time to install a political regent in the galaxy <laughs> and uh, make sure that uh, the company that is actively enslaving people has partial control in this planet because it'll open up communications, like a communication route for easy access for other companies and planets and politicians to be coming through past Pajal. And like that's what the Jedi Order is focusing on. They're not focusing on in freeing the slaves. And you're like, oh, that's part of the problem here. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting because I liked that there was more time spent on it in Master and Apprentice, but I did kind of feel a disconnect with then what we see from Qui-Gon later on. Um, in The Phantom Menace. I love those two characters that Claudia Gray introduced here, Pax and Rahara. I think you're so right about pointing out Rahara's... I think that they did... uh, Claudia did such a good job of showing that guilt of freeing herself and then wanting to go back in and help others and getting lost in that almost. And I I was really um, immersed in those characters in that part of the story um, whenever I found myself getting a little bogged down by the politics in the book or any sort of riff between Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan, their story was fascinating to me and the dynamics of these, you know, jewel thieves, kind of average people and how they're dealing with their past themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought their storyline, how it kept intersecting with Qui-Gon's was, was fun. Um, I did like them a lot, and I liked that the the issue of communication was brought up between those two characters as well because mm-hmm. Pax was raised by 3PO droids, basically, so Godspeed to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Rahara was like, Godspeed to us both. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but she still had a lot of affection for him and wanted to be with him. So I think they, they had an interesting dynamic as well. But I, I loved at the end when Pax – because Pax throughout the book is kind of presented as like he's he's here for the money. He's here to like get the upper hand in any given situation. Um, and then at the end of it, you know, he runs into Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. He's like, I'm here for Rahara. And that's it. <laughs> he's like, that's what we're doing here. And then, too, he comes up with – it was him that comes up with the plan um, at the end to get more of them out, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Him. And Rahara was like, yes. Okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. It was good. I, I enjoyed their storyline too. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I actually have never felt this way. I usually like original characters in Star Wars books. Like lately, I feel like Star Wars books have done such a good job of me getting so invested in characters I've never heard of before and have no context for. I, I really did really like these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were fun. Okay. Shall we move on to part three? Yes, let's do it. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, so welcome to part three, where Caitlin and I, in our past book discussions, we have adopted doing a very kind of offshoot version of Lectio Divina, the sacred practice of reading and um, experiencing a quote. But it's really just Caitlin choosing five quotes for me to read and Caitlin and I choosing five quotes for her. And then we kind of discuss the themes and what the quotes bring up. So um, there's a lot of page turning. And if this is your first time, welcome. It's a fun part. Welcome. (laughs) So do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So my first one was on page 46. It's 
So it's at the bottom of the page, and this is a chapter. It's a before chapter, so it's Dooku and Qui-Gon when Qui-Gon is a Padawan. And Qui-Gon says, intelligence, Qui-Gon strained. Standing up only helps so much with his sense of intimidation. His head was at Dooku's elbow level. Yes, my Padawan. Dooku's amusement had a feline quality to it, sly and self-contained. Anyone who begins to journey farther along the path of the Force should be afraid. The dangers are many. The struggle is eternal. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What's interesting here is that Dooku encouraging fear. Yeah. Which uh, we know is the path to the dark side. Yoda says it several times. and But I do think that Dooku is extremely right that the struggle is eternal. It's like what we what the quote about uh, Qui-Gon always turning towards the light because it is the light. It's a constant battle within yourself to choose the the right path every single time. And it mm-hmm. is a constant struggle. And in, like most villains in Star Wars, there's always a twinge of them being right. And even while Dooku wasn't necessarily a villain at this point, he was, you know, uh, not conflicted, but slightly conflicted. Um, and he's right there. It is always a struggle and it will always be a struggle your entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really liked this quote. I think it worked really nicely with what we know of Dooku's relationships to his two masters in Jedi Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this played really nicely into that. And I, of course, thought of the quote that you just brought up when Qui-Gon's talking about choosing the light. And he says that, yes, I've touched darkness, but I went back to the light as I will continue to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, you ready for yours? Yes. So yours is on 325. Okay, I'm there. All right. So it's basically, I'm going to take two parts of this page and combine them. It's kind of the same thing. Um, okay. That's the most interesting thing about this This to me, Qui-Gon said, because I've come to realize that I was only meant to have the vi- because I've come to realize that I was not only meant to have the vision, I was also meant to misinterpret it. And then going down the page, he he knew now that prophecies were real. What he had seen, the ancient mystics had seen. The Force meant for him to understand this. He knew also that he had seen the Kyber that wasn't Kyber, which meant the days of the prophecy were at hand. Everything would change. It might even be in Qui-Gon's lifetime. In those days, slaves could be freed. Peace could be won. Qui-Gon knew that that was less certain, but he chose to believe. This is such a confusing – this is one of those things that it's like until you get it, you really don't get it. (laughs) Especially the first part of the quote that you read with Qui-Gon when he was like, I was supposed to have the vision and I was also suppo- – like I was supposed to misinterpret it. Like that was the correct interpretation was my misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I read that and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I know. It totally sends your mind spinning a little bit. <laughs> it does. It does. And it's like, okay, you get it. But then you you start getting into all of those conversations about like predetermination and self-fulfilling prophecy and and all of that. And that's all – like the confidence with, with with which Qui-Gon speaks about that, I think just makes so much sense for what we see of him in The Phantom Menace and then even in Rebels um, and in The Clone Wars, like when we see him in Mortis, I think he he gets it in the fact that he's not supposed to get it and therefore he gets it. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that it's really interesting, the line, everything would change, it might be even in Qui-Gon's lifetime. Mm-hmm. It is in Qui-Gon's lifetime that everything does change when he finds Anakin. And yeah. he says, in those days, slaves could be freed. Well, not all slaves could be freed, but Anakin could be freed. Peace could be won. 
okay, not in in Qui-Gon's lifetime, but it does happen. Qui-Gon knew that that was less certain. It does. I mean, it does in in the end of Return of the Jedi. There's a period of peace. Yeah. And there's a period of peace for Naboo as well at the end of The Phantom Menace as well. I mean, even Boss Nass screams peace, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what we have that Qui-Gon doesn't have, though, is the the ability to look at the bigger picture. Right. And I think Qui-Gon does. I think that's one of Qui-Gon's strengths is that he says here, you know, those things are less certain, but it could happen. And I'm going to have faith that those good things will come to pass. Mm-hmm. And they technically do happen in his lifetime with finding Anakin, like you said, but that's also at the end of his lifetime, too. So – and I think Qui-Gon would be like, that, yeah. Yep. <laughs> True. <laughs> Facts were made. <laughs> okay. So you ready for your next one? Yeah. Your next one is on page 66. And I think we might have already talked about it. Yep, we did. <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to read it to you anyway. Um, okay. So it's at the bottom of the page. And Qui-Gon is talking to Yoda. And Qui-Gon says, Rail's always been a friend of, to me. The defense was almost automatic. If he's something of an outsider, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yoda's ears flattened, a sure sign of irritation. Think you we judge on such trivial things? Of course not, Qui-Gon admitted. If you did, why wouldn't you have – you wouldn't have picked me for the council, would you? Pick you, I did not. And suited you are in many ways. Yet the council has spoken, and by that decision, I shall stand. I love it. It's so funny. <laughs> I love it so much. But I, I do think it's funny that Yoda's like it, – it's fascinating to me that Yoda – is like, I didn't pick you. But he's also like, I don't judge and people don't judge on the fact that you're an outsider. I think that that's false because I do think that we see judgment based off of Anakin as he is an outsider mm-hmm. later. But I, I like this kind of insecurity. A yeah. Little bit. The other thing is that Yoda's ears flatten when he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Like a dog? Like- Yes, like a dog. And but he's got such big ears. Like, do they go all the way back? Or <laughs> I want to see. I know. I know. I don't. I don't want to see. Actually. <laughs> okay, that was the quote. All right. So your next one is on page two eighty five. It's at the top. Although Qui Gon had recovered his faith in prophecies, he understood better than ever how how that belief could lead to darkness. The desire to know the future sprang from a desire to control the future. The desire to control the future sprang from fear, the fear of the depthless pain and loss the future may hold. The quest for power could be overcome, but never ever the fear of losing what mattered most. This is so pointed. Um, And of course, I think of Anakin, Mm -hmm. um, that no matter how much power he had he was always afraid of losing padme and that's what drove him to the dark side um but i think that i think this is where qui-gon really excels and that qui-gon doesn't fear the future at least i don't think he does i think he learns how to get over that in this book because i think he does begin to fear the future when he realizes that obi-wan is taking his place in the ceremony Mm -hmm. and but he still lets it happen um, he doesn't like go out of his way to be like Obi Wan, don't do that. Like he does, he doesn't tell Obi Wan about his vision in the same way that Anakin tells Padme about his. Um, and I think that's kind of like like the last quote you had, where it was like Qui Gon says he doesn't get it and he's not supposed to get it, therefore he gets it. Um, I think that also applies here. Is like Qui Gon is kind of the best Jedi 
to have these visions and to study the prophecies because he doesn't fear the future. Like he knows that all things are as the force wills it and that what will happen will undoubtedly come to pass. Um, And he doesn't have a desire to control the future. And I think he learns that in this book, clearly, because he does it right here. Um, But he learns it because he he lets Obi-Wan go through with the ceremony, even though he's uncertain about what's going to happen. And that's a reluctance, too. Yeah. But he he allows it to happen. And of course, this quote is happening at the very end. So it it definitely is the end of his journey and his understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think it's funny because later on in that page, I had highlighted all the quotes about Obi-Wan being like, I was so rebellious. Like, what happened? And Qui-Gon's like, (laughs) I happened, obviously. (laughs) It was good. Okay. So my next one for you is on page 116. Okay. So I have two from this um, one. You can kind of pick which one you want to talk about or talk about them both. So the first one is in the middle of the page. And Obi-Wan says, people are more than their worst act, Obi-Wan recited. It was something Qui-Gon had said to him many times, which at last seemed to be sinking in, at least most people. And they're also more than the worst thing ever done to them. And then later on in the line, in the, at the very bottom of the page, Qui-Gon says, you're too dedicated to ideals rather than reality, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon said, hating the answering sharpness in his voice, but unable to resist it to the point of sacrificing your principles. Let's talk about both because the first one I immediately thought of Kylo Ren mm-hmm. and also Darth Vader and just yeah. like the redeeming power of the fact that people are more than their worst act and they're also more than their best act too i think that there's like i don't know i i i really liked this um and i also but the most powerful thing to me in this quote because it is talking about rahara right no it's not they bring up rahara because they're trying because the for me at the end of that the last part of that first quote they're also more than the worst thing ever done to them that's what i mean we have a tendency to only think of people by their tragedies. Yes, that's that's what I was about to say. Is that like people aren't defined by their their fact that they're it, they were at some point a victim of something. Um, they can be so much more. Mm-hmm. And then the second one um, is just a total under, understanding of Obi Wan's character, in my uh, opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you're too dedicated to ideals rather than reality. I think that's Obi Wan's downfall in revenge of the sith and attack the clones as well but i don't know what to make of that really what do you think i think yeah i thought it was just such a good summation of obi-wan's character and it kind of goes back to that passage from the revenge of the sith novelization i was talking about earlier actually where obi-wan is telling the council like we shouldn't ask anakin to do these things because it's disloyal to him and he will feel incredibly betrayed by that but the council asks him to do it, and he's a master on the council, and he has to obey the council, and so he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sacrificing his principles with his relationship to Anakin. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ideal is that, like, the council is wise, and the council is guided by the Force. So, like, that's what that's what we should do in this situation. But Obi-Wan's not seeing the reality of what's happening to his friend. Right. Anyway, I liked it. Okay, so your next one is on page 219. It's in the middle of the page. These people are criminals, part of her mind said. It seemed easier to blame these people in some way than to relive her own past. They actually did something to get in this mess. They weren't born into it like you were. Didn't matter. Nobody deserved to live like that. No one. 
I thought this was such a good passage and really the whole like backstory of these enslaved people was really playing with like what is a bad person? What do people deserve? Because Rahara was born into slavery, but these people like that the Cherka are currently using, they're like criminals. And so they're using um, like prison labor, which is something that historically happened for in a lot of places throughout the United States and throughout the world. And it's like somehow that's okay to treat those people inhumanely because they were prisoners because of crimes they committed. And I think Rahara is kind of having that conversation with herself, walking through those steps that like, okay, yes, they did crimes, but that doesn't mean that they can be treated like this. Um, and there is a difference and there is a line that that can't and shouldn't be crossed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I don't think I could say it better than you did. Yeah, I, I liked Rahara kind of coming to terms with her past and also – like she's trying – she was also trying to differentiate herself, I think, mm-hmm. from what was happening to those people. And then she realized that she couldn't and that even though she wasn't a criminal and they were, they were both trapped in this like horrible situation. And that was the same. For sure. And that was unfair for all of them. Yeah. Okay. Your next quote is on page 235. Oh, and we also – I also already talked about this one. I'm sorry. You do this all the time. I do do this all the time. I just – I forget that these are the quotes I pulled. Okay. In the middle of the page. Yoda harumphed. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the quote. No. Um, Yoda says, seeking to know, yes, but seek this vision Qui-Gon did not. Come to him unbidden it did. Such visions may be false, but not darkness in themselves. I love harumphed, first off. Right. Did his ears flatten when he harumphed or not? <laughs> I think this is really interesting in light of the force, uh, force back moment in The Force Awakens. If you can think of such visions may be false, but not darkness in themselves. Who is the themselves that... Um, the, I think it's the vision. It's the vision itself, right? So then you can think about the the scene that we just don't have any answers to, right? Of Ray on the ground, Kylo with the Knights of Ren, I suppose, around him in the rain, and he takes a step forward towards her. And we don't know what that is yet in this timeline of May the 4th, 2019. And <laughs> I think that we probably won't see the exact version of that vision, but the darkness that lives within that is will be expressed. And I think the same can be said about, you know, the vision of um, Padme dying. Um, that's definitely something to fear, but it shouldn't be something that you obsess about. Mm-hmm. And that's what Qui-Gon talks about later on, about mm-hmm. like you can fear it, but you can't let it control your actions. Right. And then the Jedi Council in this passage is they start further down the page, they start talking about like, well, if we start using visions for like tactical reasons, what are the ethical implications of this? And, and Obi-Wan's like, good Lord, like this is not the time or place. <laughs> and he's like, what do we do now? And uh, he's like, oh, maybe Qui-Gon does have a point about the order, like bickering and stuff like that. But then Obi-Wan, of course, walks back on it. But I think this – this is what we talked about earlier. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, but the fact that these weren't things that were sought out, they were given. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is interesting when we start talking about the cosmic versus the living force because Qui-Gon has a really intense relationship to the living force and also the cosmic force. And we talk a lot about the cosmic force's role in Rey and Kylo's relationship and it kind of having its own sentience mm-hmm. and like will. And and I know that we talk a lot about the will of the force, but like you and I interpret like the cosmic force as purposefully physically separating Rey and Kylo at the end of The Force Awakens um, and not just like giving a vision, but like actively changing events. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, the will of the cosmic force. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of – and I feel like the council is kind of blind to that at this moment in time. And part of that is through their aversion to – like instead of actually talking about what the vision is, they're like getting into the semantics of a vision versus a prophecy and is the dark side. Is it not dark side? Are they all dark side or only some of them dark side? How Like they want to create this whole like checklist mm-hmm. in this moment. And Yoda, Yoda actually says, you know, like, okay, no, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not cut and dry. Not everything is black and white. Yeah, I think that something interesting also in just you saying that it made me think about something we didn't talk about is the emphasis of Obi-Wan kind of understanding the living force a little bit more and mm-hmm. his connection with the um, Veridactyl. Veridactyl? Yes. Yeah, is, is really interesting because it made me think of Ezra and his connection with mm-hmm. animals. And it, it makes me think more about Obi-Wan's fondness for Boga in Revenge of the Sith as well and how yeah. he felt a connection to this creature. But also when Obi-Wan finally gets a chance to go out into the battlefield with his lightsaber and he channels the Force. And I think that that's when he really recognizes that 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 understanding of meditation and then that need to connect with both the I think in that point he's connecting with the living force um to focus on the battle and like make sure that his sense of self is completely centered Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the thing about the the living force they I forget what set of master and apprentice it was but they (laughs) were talking about dark side trees Oh, yeah. Um, Which is really interesting because the force tree – I think you're yeah. thinking of um, Dooku Jedi it, Lost. I thought I highlighted it in my book. I mean, it could be in this one and I might have just missed it. But oh, it any, is. oh, wow. I turned right to it. Whoa. It's, <laughs> it's the will of the force. Whoa. Um, what did it say? It's, it's on page 50 and 49. Qui-Gon, he's in, I guess, like a – a greenhouse and he mm-hmm. says through the forest he reached out to the plant its presence was a delicate thing conscious of nothing but peace the same could not be said of all plants Qui-Gon still remembered the first time he'd come across a tree that was strong with the dark side the shock had been tremendous Master Dooku had shaken his head ruefully and said darkness is a part of nature too Qui-Gon equally as fundamental as the light always remember this and then Qui-Gon says I should have been a gardener <laughs> <laughs> love it I think it's really interesting, though, just because we've had a couple of trees now in canon that – well, I think that I just thought about this. The the tree, the the magic tree in Empire Strikes Back is the dark side cave that mm-hmm. – that, and I think I say the magic tree because that's John Williams' name for it on the, on the track. And I – that's definitely a tree enchanted with the dark side. And mm-hmm. but we also see trees enchanted with the light, like in Shattered Empire in the comic, and also mm-hmm. I guess the the tree of the Jedi on Octo. Whether or not that's 
<laughs> I, I feel like that tree is kind of neutral, but I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. it holds the sacred Jedi text, so maybe it's not. Isn't there also a tree? Well, maybe if these sacred Jedi texts are about the ancient Jedi mystics. Right. It's like Jedi Prime. More, yeah. There's a lot more prophecy and balance mm-hmm. happening in there. That's why I say that because I don't think you could yeah. say that tree is the light. Yeah. There's also the tree in – isn't there a tree in that Forces of Destiny shore where Ahsoka gets her new Padawan braid or something? Isn't there a tree there? Sounds right. I don't I remember. There is. I think there is because I think we're all like, oh my god, another forest tree. I think that was the conversation. They're just – they're wonderful like – visualizations of the living force at work mm-hmm. i think that um like this one shows peace and then there's one that shows violence and that's just like kind of the balance of nature and like mm-hmm. the great circle of life in this weird way okay so are you ready for your next quote yes <laughs> okay it's on page 87 okay it's in the middle of the page that was another thing Obi-Wan had always respected about Qui-Gon, his compassion. Obi-Wan wasn't uncaring, at least he hoped not, but sometimes it took him longer to see what, when someone was hurting or, or what they might truly need. Qui-Gon seemed to instinctively understand such things. So I don't suppose he could have taught me that anyway, Obi-Wan told himself, but that, that was a quality he'd have to cultivate on his own. I like this quote because, one... I don't think Obi-Wan is being super snarky here, but he's also a little snarky. Like, I guess he can't teach me that either. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But also this idea of compassion. And I think that's something – again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about the slavery issue and how Qui-Gon seems really invested in it here. But even though it's not in his purview on this particular mission, but then in Phantom Menace – He's not as invested in it or doesn't appear to be as interested in it. He's not. I mean, he says, I'm not here to free slaves. Um, And he was on Pajal not to free slaves either, but he seemed kind of into it or focused on it. Um, But what I think is better about this is the – or what I take away more from is the end of the passage um, when Obi-Wan says it took him longer to see when someone was hurting or what they might truly need. And, of course, I think of the future with Anakin mm-hmm. and how – but I think that that's something that Obi-Wan grows in because I think maybe where Obi-Wan doesn't always have immense or immediate compassion for other peoples and, like, the people he runs into on his on planets, on missions and stuff, he has such a deep loyalty and compassion and love for the people that he knows best, mm-hmm. like Anakin, which is why Palpatine had to take Obi-Wan out of the equation. Um, because no one knows Anakin better than Obi-Wan. Yeah, I think that this quote reveals way more about Obi-Wan than it does about Qui-Gon. Yeah, 100%. Um, And so I think it is something, maybe not that Obi-Wan cultivates in the sense that he's talking about here in this passage as like a, what is he, 17-year-old, 16-year-old? But it is something that he, that guides him in his like close relationships. I think it's interesting because it's clearly something that he's always working on and something that he's cognizant of in like not understanding compassion, mm-hmm. which again, the word compassion just comes up so often in my thinkings of Star Wars because we get that that moment in Attack of the Clones when Anakin and Padme are on the ship on the way to Naboo and Anakin says compassion is central to a Jedi's life. And I think that, and he says, we are encouraged to love. And I think that it's if if it's something that Obi-Wan is always striving for, he knows that it is like a tenant of being a Jedi. And it's something that he's always working towards. And I don't think it's something that Anakin has ever really had a problem with. I don't think he's ever had a problem with compassion. I think that he is someone who, 
yes, he's he is a lot of things and a lot of emotions, but I do think that Anakin has always been pretty forthright with his emotions in a way. Like I think yeah. that he has been upfront with Padme about how he feels. I think he's been kind of upfront with Ahsoka about how meaningful she was to Anakin. And I think that that was probably something that Anakin and Obi-Wan both struggled with together about how to show their compassion to each other just based off of that that divide between them. And potentially it was because Obi-Wan didn't really – it was something that Obi-Wan has always been working on and maybe had never fully understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think Anakin always feels every emotion very intensely. Yes. Um, good and bad. Yes. And I think that's, that's a huge part of Anakin's character. And I think mm-hmm. that maybe – Obi-Wan really learned that compassion through Anakin's own son. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your next one, your last one is on page 296. This one's kind of taking us all the way back to talking about Fanry at the start of the episode today. It's in the middle of the page. It was, a child. The princess's voice rose almost to a shriek. There are queens my age on Naboo. Princes my age on Tordaria. Alderaan's queen took Princess Breha to to help her negotiate a treaty, and she's younger than I am. And I've seen how Cherka's strangling Pajal when my elders haven't. Don't lecture me about being a child. Fenry collected herself. You're honest, Minister Orth. For that reason, I spare you, but doubt me no longer. So good. So good. (laughs) 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 It really just put things into perspective, and it kind of made us check, at least it made me check as a reader, my understanding of Fanry throughout the entire book because I was like oh she doesn't care she doesn't care about being a queen she's like all about the pretty stuff this is kind of different for how Padme thinks about herself as a queen where I think she likes the pretty stuff but it's also weaponized and part of who she is and part of what the the her reign entails But I don't think that I didn't really get that from Fanry. But at the very end, I was like, oh, shoot, like she had (laughs) been completely part of this this entire time. And um, she herself had been weaponizing um, everything around her. And I think that that this was so great because I I don't know. I I think that this book did. I I wasn't like sympathetic to Fanry. I think that I at the end I was like, yes, girl, like get what you want. But then she like completely radicalized, and then I was like, whoa, like I need you to calm down. (laughs) (laughs) I was yeah. I think you're right. Like I don't. I didn't feel sympathy for Fanry, but I was impressed with her. Yeah, and I think that's totally fine. And I agree with her sentiments here, where I was like, why never underestimate a child or like say someone is a child when they're clearly ruling planets and like Mm -hmm. making decisions and star like that whole bias comes from our world but it's it shouldn't be in star wars and like this is a point where like (laughs) people of all ages are running planets and galaxies yeah yeah exactly okay so your last one is on page 329 this is in the epilogue yes it's at the end of the page and yet obi-wan thought maybe this was as the force wills it Qui-Gon came to believe in the prophecies again in Pajal, where he first began arguing that the Jedi should push the Republic harder on combating slavery. Never had Qui-Gon stopped arguing this to anyone that would listen, but he had never betrayed his mandate, not even on Tatooine. If Anakin is the chosen one and he keeps his keeps his promise to free the slaves, it will fulfill all of Qui-Gon's hopes. <sighs> I mean, this is kind of what we've been talking about. Yeah, I think that 
Obi-Wan, I don't know if I think Obi-Wan always believes in the prophecies. I think he wants to believe in them. And so he tells himself that he does. Um, like he fakes it till he makes it, which I don't think is bad. But I think this this really speaks to what we see of Obi-Wan at the end of The Phantom Menace, where he has this reluctance to take Anakin as a Padawan, but is still trying to fulfill a duty and a loyalty to his master who he just lost. Um, but he is still kind of conflicted about it, but he's like, well, if this is like, if he's the chosen one, then this means that Qui-Gon was right. And I want Qui-Gon to be right because I cared about him so deeply. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is, you know, maybe this is as the force wills it. I don't know. I th- I thought I really liked this little bit because I one I loved the moment with Padme and Obi Wan. Yeah, me too. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Okay. I one time one time I wrote a fan fiction about Obi Wan and Padme. Well, really Obi Wan at Padme's funeral. It was very angsty. It was very sad. Um, <laughs> but then, like seeing it on this side, I was like, oh my god, because <laughs> Padme and Obi Wan at a funeral. I love the moment with the two of them at the start of this passage. But like this whole ending, I don't know. It, I think it's. Like Obi-Wan taking on Anakin because of Qui-Gon is such an interesting dynamic in kind of this whole grand scheme of Master and Apprentices. And I think that this passage definitely alludes to that. Well, it's always been something that I think is in the movie about the fact that Qui-Gon's dying wish is that Obi-Wan trained the boy. And, you know, Obi-Wan throughout the entire Phantom Menace is a little reluctant to Anakin even being there. And like, Mm -hmm. why do we have to train him? So over the top of Obi-Wan's whole life, he has this like he has this debt basically to train Anakin, which probably never really felt good for Anakin. And maybe it never really felt good for Obi-Wan either. There was this reluctance there. And I like that it's further explored now in New Canon with this book a little bit about how Obi-Wan is coming to understand Qui-Gon's belief in the prophecies, but also it, I don't know. I think that 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 tension there will always, like, I just, I want more of the tension between that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, well, I think that comes to the end. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this book. There's so much. Again, I really feel like we're going to continue to refer to it. And I also feel like we missed a whole bunch of stuff we could have talked about, but we've been here for like two hours. I don't know how much more we can do. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Um, Let us know what you thought of Master and Apprentice. And also we are going to be talking about Jedi Dooku Lost. Dooku Jedi Lost. (laughs) (laughs) Caitlin say things correctly challenge never gonna happen um on our patreon so that like like we said they go really well hand in hand so definitely recommend them both thank you for being with us for 100 episodes happy may the 4th i hope you're watching star wars or i'm making some star wars cookies right now for better or for worse um and that's gonna be fun and if you like what you hear, you can find us online at skytalkers.com or on Twitter, skytalkerspod. Our personal handles are at Clarity and at Caitlin Plusher. We're also on iTunes. And if you want to leave us a review, please leave us a review. It helps other people find our show. And um, we like talking to more people. So head on over there if you haven't already. Yes, absolutely. And I want to thank our amazing patrons, Jason, James, Kathy, Gee. 
Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Kimberly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Brian, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Swara, Rebecca, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Unspeakable, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Katie, I, Rebelle, Kimberly, Gina, Ewan, Donnie, Vondacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Dominic, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararu, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Alaya, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It means the world. And welcome to all the new people that joined us because I feel like I just read off a whole bunch of new names. Yes. Thank you guys so much um, as always. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. On May the 4th. On May the 4th. <laughs> Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.